Hi, I'm Brett Terpstra, and this is Systematic on ESN. This episode is brought to you by SaneBox, the most dependable way to tame your inbox. I'll tell you why later in the show, and you can visit SaneBox.com systematic to sign up. My guest this week is Allison Sheridan, a technology geek podcaster with a slight Apple bias, as you would read in her podcast taglines. How's it going, Allison? An ever so slight. That's the. That's right. Yeah, it's going good. I'm. I'm excited about this. This has been a long time coming. I think the last time you introduced me, it was as not the man I thought he was. <laughs> yes. Was that, that intentional? Is... Well. Yes, because I thought you were somebody else. <laughs> I know it was literal, but the phrasing was very much... Um, oh, is that mean? Oh, it's just very soap opera. You're just not the man I thought you were. <laughs> Leaving Dramatic. me with our, with, with our children and running off with that harlot. Um, <laughs> I did used to watch all my children for about 25 years, so maybe that got in there. <laughs> it, it may have affected something. Um so let's cover that backstory real quick. Uh, the reason you and I haven't connected previously was because you thought I was someone else with a similar like Twitter handle. Yeah, I had met a guy named Brett Terpster. Wait, you're Brett Terpster. Mm. I'd met a guy who goes by the name of the Terpster, and he's a totally different guy. And, and apparently uh, not someone you want to know. You know, I don't want to be mean or anything. I mean, he seems nice enough and all, but he, he's kind of an acquired taste. He um, was making jokes with his hand in his pants and a puppet coming out of his crotch. And that just, you know, I, you know, that's fine if that's who you want to be. But I thought, you know, why does everybody talk about Brett Terpster like, ooh, he's like really smart and all this stuff. And I'm thinking, I don't know. I thought the guy was kind of a clown. And uh, so I, but I never said anything out loud to anybody about the fact that I was just like, oh, I don't know. I didn't do it for me. <laughs> and yet then I see you up on stage at MacStock and they said, you're Brett Terpster. And I said, that's not the man I thought it was. <laughs> you got to admit, we figured out what his full name was, right? I forget what it is now. I We did. But I mean, just the fact that his Twitter handle was, yeah, I can see how the mistake was made. I'm very yeah, happy we yeah. got past it. <laughs> but what I thought was funny, when I told you that, you said, oh, that's why you've been ignoring me. <laughs> How did you even know I was ignoring you? I never told you, and I never told anybody else, I don't think. I don't know if you know this, but people talk about me a lot. <laughs> like, within our little sphere of the nerd internet. And you were just someone who I had always thought, wow, she's really cool. And just somehow never seems, I don't seem to be on her radar at all. <laughs> You were, and I was going, who's that guy? <laughs> oh, mission. It's embarrassing. <laughs> yes. Well, I am very happy to have connected. We've we've hung out at both um, MacStock and Command D now. Yeah, that was fun, huh? That was scary and Command fun. D? Yeah. That, it was actually just fun for me. What was scary? <laughs> well... You know, having Salsa going and go on pretty close to right before you, I'm thinking, you know, um, I, I, I use I use Text Expander, you know, I make these little snippets and um, and I know how to use Hazel. And he's up there, you know, changing the world. <laughs> I, uh, I presented, I did the, um, the automation slam. I co-hosted that with him. Completely a surprise to me, by the way. I was supposed to be there to take tickets. 
<laughs> I was a volunteer at Command D, and I ended up speaking and then co-hosting the Slam, which was just a blast. But yeah, that there's a turned certain out really level of intimidation. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, the only thing that saved me was that David Sparks was on between Sal and me, and and David at least and I are in the same league. You know, I could see him above me in his presentation skills. Uh, Sal is just like, you know, nothing else. The only reason I survived doing that was before I went on, I, I was talking to Ray Robertson, who was also a speaker there. And I said, oh, man, I'm really intimidated. I, this is going to be horrible. And he said, what you need to understand is there's, there's Sal Segoyan and there's everybody else. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, I'm over here with everybody else. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I was actually really surprised that uh, despite the, like, complete nerd one would assume Sal is he's a really good presenter yeah 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 you would you would not expect him to be so slick and smooth yeah and well organized and yeah no it was really good really well done presentations but anyway yeah so you are you're retired now you had a past life probably in mechanical engineering (laughs) probably yes and (laughs) I'm actually curious about that, we'll get, but we'll get back to it. Um, now, now most of your time is spent podcasting, and you have three podcasts. Yes. But it started with one called the Nozilla Cast. And so poorly named, just, uh, just as you said, you just pronounced it with a Z, so I had to buy that domain. Well, because, yeah. Mozilla, I guess? Yeah, it that, rhymes? my instinct was it was something to do with Netscape. <laughs> Your podcast started a long time ago. Yeah, 12 years without a break. Wow. Haven't missed a show in 12 years. Wow, I can't even say that in the last five years. Yeah, Yeah. and now I have tricked other people into doing the show for me while I'm on vacation, but that works. Counts. Awesome. So what is the name? It's NoSillaCast, and it's, a, as you said, a technology geek podcast with an ever-so-slight Apple bias. So it's it's whatever geek stuff I'm into, it, it might be... Uh, you know, gadgets or, or, you know, iOS stuff, Mac stuff, uh, photography, um, tech, geek stuff. Sure. So might as well have a name that means nothing. Where did the name come from? It's actually my name spelled backwards. I grew up <laughs> I with need a, a marketing manager. I grew up with a mechanical engineer father. Ah. Um, there are, like, engineering runs in my family, even in my, like... <laughs> uh, in-law families it's just a bunch of engineers which i don't necessarily consider myself an engineer um i definitely could not have made it through school as an engineer but i am familiar with engineer ways of doing things (laughs) and naming a podcast with your name backwards seems absolutely in line with my understanding of engineers yeah well uh my husband's also an engineer, and as my friend Diane said to me once, I'm just really glad the two of you met each other and left the rest of us the hell alone. <laughs> it's just when two engineers marry. <laughs> one of my one of my favorite stories to tell is my daughter was um, I don't know four years old, I think, and and I took her over for a play date to a friend of mine's house, and he was an artist, so he took the kids out in the backyard and he gave them easels to paint on. And uh, he left them alone for a little while and he came back and his daughter had paintings all over the grass. She had laid them out all over the place. And my daughter was standing there looking at a blank canvas and he asked her what was wrong. And she said, well, I don't know what to paint. And he said, well, how about a cat? 
And so she took up the paints and she wrote C A T. <laughs> I'd never given her paint. It hadn't. It, why would I ever give her paint? I would never paint. That would never come up. <laughs> That's interesting, because my my brother, also the son of my father, the mechanical engineer, is through and through an artist. I'm a ah. blend, but okay. he is absolutely. I mean, I would say he takes a very analytic view of art. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he at the age of like three, he was drawing better pictures than most 12, 13 year olds would. It was kind of, uh, he was freakishly good. One of the great banes of my father's existence was that his firstborn son is a musician. My father was a mechanical <laughs> engineer. And uh, of the four children, he's probably either the smartest or the second smartest. I mean, he reads books on string theory for fun, he loves physics, but he wanted to be an, a musician. And, oh, that nearly killed my father. Was, How so? Like, okay, so I played in chamber orchestra through high school. And it was very clear that um, people who went into at least orchestra, not so much band because that was kind of the like goof-off music. I was but, in band. Yeah, I forgive <laughs> you. But... Um, but like in orchestra, most it was mostly nerds, and it was mostly people that went on to get degrees from Stout and and Harvard, and like they were math geeks, they were science geeks, they had the minds that like extremely right brained, and that was how they got into music. So it, it, I mean, I'm saying it makes sense to me that someone who enjoys physics would also enjoy music. Yeah, yeah, that that isn't the problem. It's that he wanted to make a living doing it that bothered my father. And I, the arguments were always about how he wouldn't have any money. And um, <laughs> he, he, for a musician, he's done extremely well. He owns his own home. He was at a director of music synthesis at the Berkeley School of Music. Um, <laughs> Seems he like he's doing fine. Yeah, yeah, he did okay. But uh, uh, the, the funny part of the family is that it, obviously he's very talented musically. And my brother Grant fabulous flautist my brother kelly played uh um several instruments and was very talented and um i just have no musical talent whatsoever i played every note as loud as they told me to play it i've held it as long as they told me to play it and i played it when they told me to play it but without but any was, feeling for that apparently is not music <laughs> that's, that's a computer yeah yeah you know I, I watching my grandson now um if you put any music on, he will start to dance. And uh, like he can be eating his oatmeal and he'll be dancing in his chair. And he's just a year old. And so I don't want to repeat the mistake of not giving him paint, you know, like my daughter. So I'll put music on just because he's there, you know, just because <laughs> it apparently does something for him. And it fascinates me because I don't feel it. You know? Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that in a sec, too. Um Yeah, so I should probably move on to talking about the rest of your podcast. I have. So many questions already. This okay. is going to be this is going to be a random and winding road. But um, so you also have a podcast called Taming the Terminal. Yeah. So my um, co-host, if you will, is a guy named Bart Bouchatz, who's a programmer out of or, well, he's a, a Unix sysadmin with a degree in uh, experimental physics uh, out of in Ireland. And uh, he's he was on my show from just shortly after the beginning, about just about 10 years ago, 500 episodes ago, uh, we started doing a series we called uh, um, Chit Chat Across the Pond. 
And eventually, over time, he started being on it every other week instead of every week. And then he started this series called Taming the Terminal, where he taught me to use the terminal. And so we spun that off. It was part of Chit Chat Across the Pond. And when it was finished, uh, my husband, Steve, and Bart and I worked together to uh, burn it into its own evergreen podcast. So it's out there. It hasn't finished necessarily. Every once in a while, you'll see a new episode go in. But by and large, it's, it's pretty much complete. So that was him teaching me to use the terminal. And the style of it is he writes phenomenal tutorials that are on his website. I do the recording and I point back over to his uh, to his show notes. And I'm the dummy not knowing anything. He's the guy who knows everything. And for some reason, he finds that pleasing to have me going, wait a minute, wait a minute. What are you, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. Tell me that again. Pleasing and, and or bearable? A, no, actually pleasing. Um, we talked about it. The 500th episode was last week of us being together on the show and... Uh, I was saying how much I appreciate his contributions. And he said, you know, I would, this would not be pleasant at all for me if it weren't for you asking the questions. And he finds it dull and boring if it's just him talking, but he loves having somebody to talk to. And, and people tell me I ask the right questions. I'm stuck when they were stuck. And, and so when I'm asking him, you know, hey, wait a minute, elaborate on this. What do you, I don't get where you're going with this. I, that didn't make any sense. What was that, what was that abbreviation? What are, you, what are you talking about here? And so he says he loves it and he's been that. doing it for 10 years. So it must be more than tolerate. Well, for, for me, I, uh, when I try to explain that kind of stuff to people, I have no idea what, what's going to trip them up. Like I, mm. I can't put myself in their shoes. I, I don't remember. I remember what it was like to learn this stuff. I remember the questions I had, but I've learned mm. over time that the questions I have are not the questions that yeah. can we normal people have right well so that's where somebody like me adds value right because i'm the one learning well yeah (laughs) normal within a a band right we're we're talking about people who have a desire to play in the terminal so we're in a a, a different we're not at the same cocktail party as the rest (laughs) of people so within our little nerddom but um you know like I, i was talking about it at at command d when i went up on stage the last formal programming training I had was Fortran 4 with Watt 5 in 1982, and I did my master's project in Fortran, but I didn't even remember that until somebody pointed it out to me. I said something like, yeah, I never wrote anything into it, in it, and this friend of mine goes, well, yeah, you did. You wrote your master's project in it. That's how far back it is. So I am clever and intelligent, but I don't have any knowledge in this. So that's why I think it works. So I'm not a complete moron, but I don't know this topic, and so that's why it kind of works. I, I, when I first heard about the podcast... I I could not imagine teaching someone a terminal over the phone. <laughs> yeah, the show notes are pretty important. <laughs> um, but for some people, if reason, people people like it. But that's not the hardest one we've done. The terminal was easy compared to what we're doing now. But you've also, you work with uh, Don McAllister. Yeah. Writing for yeah. Screencast Online. Have you done any terminal stuff for that? No, no, I haven't. Um, I wouldn't put myself in the category of an instructor yet. Uh, yet, um, the Screencast Online is demonstrating application software, right, or OS things. I mean, it could do. I, in fact, I hadn't even thought about doing a little series on the terminal. But I, I don't consider myself enough of any kind of aficionado to to teach that yet. It is a good way to teach, though, or, or to learn is to have to teach. They say so. That gives me something to think about. Yeah, I'm I'm working on a book right now with David Sparks. Um that should be out in time for the 
release of High Sierra, and it's Mac. It's volume two of our sixty tips for Mac. Oh, and, cool! Um, it's a it's a i iBooks mm-hmm. bookstore book. I, Apple does iBooks. not like there. There are certain like uh, terminology they give you certain rules, and you're not allowed to say iBook. Oh, you aren't. <laughs> I think. I have trouble remembering because it's also counterintuitive to me. But anyway, uh, so it's mostly it's a it's a collection of screencasts and I want to do a bunch of terminal tips in it, but they don't make exciting screencasts. And I don't think that the general audience for this book is going to have the foundation to just jump in and understand what I'm doing. So I've kind of scrapped a lot of those now. Yeah, I guess. There are some light and easy tips that I think help where if like something like where you want to do something in the um, in the terminal and you need to drill down a bunch of levels and you can't remember the syntax for escaping the spaces in the file name or something like that. And you can grab the um, I can never remember what the thing is called. It's like a favicon, but it's the top of the finder window. uh, The the little icon. icon. Uh, Proxy icon is what it's called. Proxy icon. Yeah. Yeah, you grab the proxy icon and just drag it down into the finder and, yeah. you know, CD space, drag that thing in and it splats it out. Mm-hmm. You know, little tricks like that. Those are those are the kind of things that blow my dress up that, oh, OK, I'm, <laughs> I'm not completely in the terminal, but I can get there. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I suppose there are things there are certain tips for Mac that things you can do very quickly just by popping up the terminal that really anyone could find useful. I use it for a calendar sometimes. Cal. There. Yeah, just to see what day a uh, uh, date is going to fall on. Yeah, or CalSpace 2017. There, I've got the entire year, which I don't think you can do in calendar, can you? I don't. <laughs> I, don't I use Fantastic Hal and ah. I. That's the problem is I use third party apps for everything. So when it comes <laughs> to talking about the default apps, I'm I'm behind. Um. All right, and then you have one more podcast called Chit Chat Across the Pond, also with Bart. Well, Chit Chat Across the Pond, so it was originally part of my, my main show. So I just had the Nocillacast, but the second half was always Chit Chat. And then I spun Chit Chat off on its own. And then after a while, after I had, after we finished Taming the Terminal, I realized, well, every other week I've got this super, super nerdy show with Bart. And then the other every other week is me just talking to somebody in tech that I find interesting. And that's kind of uneven, right? There's people who are following the series of Taming the Terminal, but then the other people, well, they're really not into that. So they have to listen to every other week. (laughs) So I got the idea right around that time, uh, Bart started another series called Programming by Stealth. So I split, there's actually three feeds for Chit Chat Across the Pond. There's the full feed that has everything. Then there's Chit Chat Across the Pond Lite, which is the non-propeller beanie stuff. And then there's Programming by Stealth which stands alone. And that way we don't have to do a bunch of work to spin it off later. It's kind of already spun off. And, and that's the, uh, that's the real headbanging hard thing that we're working on now. 38 episodes in, we're trying, he started with teaching us uh, HTML and then CSS, and then he got into JavaScript. And so we've been trying to learn JavaScript and uh, it's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Although with a Fortran background, I would think JavaScript's very unstructured <laughs> syntax would be familiar. 
Yeah, yeah, it's super familiar. Yeah, it's right. <laughs> on, you know, it rolls off the tongue. Some of those those phrases. And uh, uh, Bart Bart's a good instructor. What's What's been interesting about the show for me is that um, a bunch of women have come out of the background and started helping me on the side. So. I'll say something, I'll be stuck on a point and I'll just be going, I don't get it, Bart. I don't get it, I don't get it. And this this woman, Jill, will write to me and she'll send me like 12 pages of explanation of, and she'll use funny words to try to keep me engaged and help me understand um, how what, what it was Bart was trying to teach me. And then Helma jumped in and helped me with some of the CSS stuff and said, well, let's do a screen share. Let's work on the CSS on your website. You'll see how this works. And then uh, Dorothy has been helping me whenever we're doing our homework. Uh, Dorothy does it first, and then I sit there and ask her questions in text, and she helps me through it. So I, it's like I have three full-time tutors on the side with Bart teaching me full-time as the instructor. Wow. Do, do you know Elsie Escobar? Uh, yes, sort of. Sorry. Have met and have chatted with, and I think we're friends on Facebook. Yeah, okay. She's from she, Libsyn, right? Yes. She was a guest on this podcast previously, um, helping a friend of mine out with uh, starting her own podcast. I've been really impressed. Uh, you, you mentioned women contacting. It was because her, her thing is kind of she podcasts. Like, um, oh, okay. That was kind of a random aside. But anyway, <laughs> I, I did want to tell you why I'm learning JavaScript. OK, it's not necessarily that I need it. But um, Dr. Marianne Gary has been on Chit Chat Across the Pond Light a couple of times. And she's a professor out of New Zealand. Uh, fascinating, fascinating person. But uh, she messes with people's memories as a, that's her her life's work. Uh, she can bring a group of people together and convince them that something happened in their memory that actually never happened to them. It's really, really terrifying. It's very MK Ultra, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's <laughs> it's awesome. She's so interesting to listen to. But anyway, uh, one of the things she talked about one time was, um, and she suggested a book for me to read about how to keep your brain alive. And you know, they've got this thing about oh, you can play these little brain games on your on your iPhone. Well, that doesn't actually do anything. According to the research that, that she tuned me into, the, the thing you have to do is find something very difficult for you to learn and master it. Yeah. So you don't get to give up. I mean, maybe it's playing the guitar, but you don't get to play three chords and go, okay, I'm good. Now my brain's good forever. You have to master it. You have to do something that, that hurts. And so whenever I've got like my head on the table banging it as Bart saying something I completely don't understand, I hear her words. I'm like, okay, no, that's exactly why I'm doing this. It's supposed to be this hard. And that gets harder and harder as I get older. I used to love yeah. completely like starting learning things that were inaccessible to me like a hundred percent and like focusing and learning it and starting from the beginning that as i get older i'm we'll say 40 now i i find that more and more difficult but alzheimer's does run in my family and yeah, me too long ago i read research about uh convents uh nunneries yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. The nuns, they were in this book. Yeah, where basically at around the age of between 40 and 50, they would be required to learn an entirely new... Uh, I, I don't know how it works with nuns. It's not their like career, but they would go from one uh, money-making activity to something entirely unrelated, and they had like zero incidences over 100 years... Oh, wow. Of Alzheimer's. 
And oh, now that's interesting. Then posthumously, they would find that the nests, the what are they called? Uh, I know what you're talking about. It's the white, yeah, stuff. The stuff that grows in your brain because of mm-hmm. Alzheimer's. They would be there, but they would have reprogrammed the neural circuitry to work around it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, I remember there was a specific uh, one of the nuns that they they sliced her brain open and and found that. And uh, my my mother's most of my mother's brothers and sisters have died of Alzheimer's. There's one who doesn't have it. Um, and so and my mother didn't. And so she worked with the Alzheimer's uh, people and uh, donated her brain because they wanted to know why. And I am convinced that she probably had all those little tendrils or whatever they call them. I forget the words now. Um, and she was she was sharp. She had a stroke eventually that kind of messed things up. But other than that, and, you know, Brett, you talk about being, you know, interested in learning. I remember my mother calling me when she was like, I think she was 89. And she said, Allison, you've been watching what's going on out there in Las Vegas. They got this show called CES. They got a they got a, a, a display that is, you know, 11 millimeters thick. How do they get power out of that? You know, she was she was learning all the time. She was she never stopped learning. Um and and I'm I'm convinced that it had something to do with it. She started writing when she was like 88. Yeah, I honestly, I am fascinated with anyone, regardless of like their motivation, who continues learning at that rate, even after the age of 50. Yeah, I'm 59, so I'm I'm. Uh... I have just no interest in, in not doing that. Like I, I watch some TV, but when I watch TV, I feel like I'm just wasting time where I could be learning something. And I, I all of the podcasts <laughs> I listen to, I'm trying to learn. It's not uh, you know pure entertainment. I do read books that are crap sometimes, though. Well, you got to have some entertainment that is an escape. Yeah, that's what all my children used to be for me until they canceled <laughs> it. <laughs> all right, so... Aside from the podcasting, learning, do you still do anything engineering? No. So my um, my formal training in, it was in engineering. I have a bachelor's and master's in uh, mechanical engineering, uh, UCLA for my master's. But uh, I worked for 11 years as a mechanical design engineer. And in whatever that is, 1989, they brought in the first computer-aided design system. We were still on drafting boards back then with a pencil and an eraser and such. And uh, they needed somebody to go play with this thing. And they were kind of like, I don't know, this thing, this newfangled, t- I don't know what this stuff is. And, you know, put Allison on that. <laughs> and, uh, and I started working on it. And it was the difference between being a piano player and a pianist to me <laughs> that on, on doing mechanical design – it was like the way I did music, you know, I could plod along, but I wasn't inventive. You know, I wasn't, uh, as my father would call it, the engineer's engineer. It wasn't, I wasn't really as good as I hoped, as I always thought I was. But when I got onto the computer, man, I was just, I could make that thing sing. I could just, you know, just the commands would flow out of me and I could just make it do my bidding. And I really got excited about things after that. So I ended up kind of careening off into an, into an IT world after that. So the last 24, Four years I was at uh, at the company I worked for. I was really in the IT side. That that adds up, just based mm. on what I know about you in the present. <laughs> um, can we talk about music for a sec? Sure. So, okay, I I when I was um, grade school age, I after a 
parent-teacher conference with my public school. Like I like hated those. Third, second grade teacher. Uh, it was determined that I would be going to a school for the gifted and talented. Ah. And I'm pretty sure part of this was my ADHD, but <laughs> that wasn't diagnosed till I was in my 20s. So um, uh, fortunately, I, my grandfather was a chemist for uh, Monsanto back in the 60s. Mm. And my grandmother paid for me to go to a private school for the gifted and talented. And my best friend there ended up being this guy who was taking pre-calc in fourth grade. Oh, jeez. And he would sit down at his uh, PC Junior, IBM, and, uh, and he would program symphonies in basic because he would oh. see symphonies as math. Oh, that's so and cool. And he would rather listen to the 8-bit version of it <laughs> than the original. As he had created it. Right. So he would take the sheet music and he would code it. Wow. And they were not, he was not inventive with it. So he wasn't writing his own or, orchestral right. pieces. Like nothing. Oh, uh, it was all. But he would take Beethoven's Fifth and program it as best you could with 8-bit single single output sound um like single uh, what's it monophonic sounds um and and yeah and then he would also design he would have logo drawing fractals to the music (laughs) and if you've ever used logo fractals are actually super impressive (laughs) that's that's crazy. I, you know, what it reminds me a little bit of is a, a show I saw on autism quite a few years ago where the, there was a, there's a guy who can recite uh, pi out to thousands of character, of digits, <laughs> and he says he sees them as color. What's that? Uh, I keep, I, I love uh, dis, dis something dysphoria dysphoria um i don't remember but seeing numbers as colors and colors as smells and all of that like mixing the senses and there are those who are on the autistic spectrum where that is common that then can turn that into an actual like a benefit a skill yeah i think we're all on the autism spectrum actually aren't we yeah, I actually did a podcast very recently as- with a uh, a psychiatrist who who dealt with specifically with autism and like oh, they've changed the scale. Um, uh, uh, Asperger's is no longer a thing. Not, oh, really? Yeah, they just don't call it that anymore. Now it's part of the autism. The, spectrum the scale disorder. has moved up, I think, primarily because so many of us would qualify and uh, are not actually in need of medical attention on it. But well, I was wondering, would you feel you'd be in that category? I d- have definite symptoms of what was once Asperger's, but so does everyone I know that works in the field I work in. <laughs> well, I, I remember I was listening to one of your uh, one of the episodes of this show, and you were talking about you said something like, um, "So, are you ever sitting in your back?" yard watching fireflies and you realize if you kind of defocus and watch long enough you can see them sending signals to each other yep no brett the rest of us don't see that 
<laughs> and it, you know, part of me was, oh, he's just being wacky. And then I thought about it for a while having talked to you. I thought, no, I bet he actually does see that. No, pattern recognition is like I, I with like, uh, you know, iPhone games, the kind that you play in the bathroom, just the like <laughs> 60 second, see how far I can get kind of games. Yeah. The reason I get good at those is because I recognize patterns without fully understanding what they mean. But oh, in a game like that, once you recognize the patterns, you can react to them. That's that's mm. that's it's my one my one superpower: pattern recognition. <laughs> I have a superpower. What's that? I can pour liquids from one container into another with a small opening and rarely spill. That is a skill. I started not finishing my wine for some reason. I don't. I can't really <laughs> explain that. And I can pour wine back into a bottle. You don't want to share wine with me. From from like a wine glass. A glass. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I know, right? I've realized that one of my other skills is really good. I can't remember what the phrase for it is. It's part of the, the IQ test they give kids. But understanding how the mass in one container will fit into the, the volume Ooh. of another container. Oh, that's a good one. I should have that one as a mechanical engineer, and I don't think I do. If you want to store leftovers, I am the guy that can tell you what the smallest container. <laughs> that is exactly the problem I was thinking about. Cause, and and I, want, I want the smallest container, but I can't be wrong because if I'm wrong, I have to wash two things. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. most shows I worry about getting off topic. <laughs> this show is kind of about getting off topic, except it always ends up interesting. So on music, though. Uh, mm-hmm. You you said in your um your kind of bullet list when we first started talking about doing the show that you have something you think you would have something called uh, music specific is it anhedonia yes anhedonia anhedonia so, I've always said that I don't like music and I realized after they discovered music specific anhedonia or specific music anhedonia I forget how it's actually said. Um, that that that's not really the right the right wording. It's that I don't care about music. I don't care either way. And uh, coming from such a musical family, I always felt kind of like I should hide this. You know, if my brother Jan knew about this, <laughs> it, it would kill him. It, it would it would just kill him. And he would try to convince me otherwise. And it, you know, my whole life, people said, "Well, if you listen to my music," and they'd give me their show tunes, or or it's you know it's orchestral pieces, or it's jazz, or you know whatever. And I would try them, and it it fits into this odd category of not interesting enough to just listen and too distracting to listen and do anything else. So a lot of people have to listen to music when they code or when they were doing their homework in college, and I have to have silence. Uh, I'll, I'll put on like you know a nice little you know Brahms or something and think, oh you know that's that's kind of nice. I kind of like, oh yeah, that's mellow. Okay, I'll... and after a few minutes, it's like having somebody just rub your arm gently in the same spot over and over and over again. I'm just like, oh, make it stop. And uh, so uh, actually, when I was with Dr. Gary, the, the professor I was talking about, we were in New Zealand with her when. This study came out. Um, anhedonia has been known about for a long time. It's basically people who have this have no emotional reaction to things. They don't feel bad or good. They don't. They just don't feel about anything. I thought that was and, psychosis. Well, it might be or psycho- <laughs> so, psychopathy. Uh, by the way, her wife is a professor in psychopathy, so we have it all covered with the two of them. Um, but 
the the thing that they found that was interesting, they'd never seen a specific anhedonia. This was the first time they found something where there's people who have emotional reactions to everything else, but just not music. And they've been doing uh, MRIs on these people and they'll, uh, you know, they play music and they watch the pleasure center of the brain and nothing happens. Uh, but then they'll have them say, play a video game where they can win something or do some sort of gambling game and the pleasure center will light up. So they can prove that they do have emotional reactions to things in the brain, in the chemistry of the brain, and yet not from music. And uh, so I was I was interviewed by The Atlantic uh, for an article on it. And it was uh, that was kind of fun. So after after some time, do you still think that's an accurate diagnosis? Yeah, yeah. They had a little, you know, online test you could take on the site where they they talked about the discovery, and I went through it, and it was it was fairly strong in favor of that probably being what's going on in my brain, I, and it made me feel better because I, I realized it wasn't that I don't like it. It's just like I, I remember going to concerts when I was in college, and I had a uh, uh, you know my favorite band went to see my favorite band, and and after they played like three three uh, songs, my reaction was. Well, are they just going to keep playing just song after song after they're not going to stop and let us talk for a little while and or, or could they play a little quieter so we could talk you know this is this is intriguing to me because i have the opposite like i have a very strong emotional reaction to any music and that emotion can go in many directions uh, music can absolutely influence what i'm feeling at any given time um, I've often thought I would have a great career doing sound design for TV shows and movies because I have a really good feel for what the exact perfect song mm. to play would be to manipulate a certain emotion. Um, I have never had a close friend or partner who has shared that. And most of them have been more like you. Music hmm. is a distraction. Like my car does not run without music. I've I've keyed my engine up. It won't run if there's not music playing. That's a lie, <laughs> but it it seems like that to many people. Um, I so many people have been in my car and been like, "Hey, can we just have it silent for a little bit?" And I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> uh, I had a four part series with John Roderick from uh, The Long Winters, also from you know, rhetoric on the line with Merlin man. And, um, he talked about how he could, when he listened to music, he listened to music, not in the background. He sat down with headphones, put the record on and listened to it like completely absorbed in it. And that I understood. But for me, like music is the background of everything. So you want it on in the background, but not just doing that. Right. Maybe yeah. this is a spectrum too then. But but I do like just doing it too. There are times, but only for a couple songs will I really focus on the music. And then after that, it becomes background. Then my brain wanders and I want to do something else. But the music keeps playing. Uh, it's the soundtrack of my life. Now, I've thought about this because... I find that if there's a visual component, then it can be more compelling to me. So uh, at Christmas every year, we play, um, oh, I'm going to ruin the whole story. We turn on the, the Christmas tree, we turn out all the lights, and we play Oh Holy Night by the guy that did Phantom of the Opera. Um, I can't remember his name. 
it's it's just it it is it brings a tear to my eye every year but the christmas tree has to be on we have to be in the room sitting on the couch cuddled up with my husband we've got the the all the lights off and it's it's a wonderful experience but we do that one song and that's pretty much i always try to do more and it's like eh, and i'm wandering or a, a music video like oh, i really Andrew Lloyd Webber. uh no the, he he did the musical production right but i mean the uh the star the, oh. um yeah, I don't know the answer to that one. Played Phantom of the Opera. <laughs> see if I can find it. I went uh, to see Joseph at the te- Technicolor Dreamcoat. Okay. Michael Crawford. Um, but like, I really love the music video, uh, It's All About the Bass. <laughs> and I love that. I just, I just love it. And now I can listen to the song, and I love the song. It's fantastic. But that's it. Do you prefer lyrics to music? Yes. Do you get into lyrics? Yes, very much so. And and if I can sing along, if it's in a pitch I can sing in. I, I liked Cat Stevens when I was in college because mm-hmm. I could sing along. Yeah. See, most of the people I've talked to that don't don't emotionally react to the music itself, they will say, I need lyrics, and I need to be able to understand the lyrics. And... Like for me, lyrics are extremely, if I don't like the lyrics, it doesn't matter how good the music is, but I can listen to music without lyrics and have emotional reactions just as well. Huh? Yeah. I feel like there's a spectrum here. Yeah. Yeah. It does sound like there is, but people always try to change my mind, which I find really interesting. <laughs> I now tend I can to say, be, no, go read this paper. I tend to be very, um, I guess... I I get uh, if someone can listen to a song that I think is the greatest thing in the world and they're not I don't see them react at all I do I get I want to change their mind I'm like you don't understand (laughs) (laughs) I'm coming to realize over time that they don't understand it the way that I do because it it feels different to me I'm starting to think there's (laughs) <laughs> uh, like heavy metal, I've I've discovered that for some people, heavy metal feels bad. When they hear it, it 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 makes them feel just bad, and that's funny because I have the same reaction to jam bands. And I've never like I've always thought, well, jam bands just suck and metal rules, but <laughs> it's about like the way it makes an individual feel. I'd be like, you could probably listen to a jam band and a metal band and be like, meh, to either. Either way, yeah. <laughs> I, you know what I think part of this is, I, I've started developing a theory on this, is there, there's a category of thing where we want the other person to feel what we feel and, and we think they're just wrong. And, and a perfect example of it is, if I tell you I'm cold and you're not cold, <laughs> your answer will be, it isn't cold. I feel like that is the most common argument between couples. Yeah, well, that might have come up. And, and I realize it's irrelevant to me whether or not you're cold. I am cold. Therefore, I'll immediately I would like look, it to be warmer. I'll immediately check the temperature. I'll be like, it's 74 I degrees. It. You're wearing this right now. You can't be cold. Like, yeah, no, I've tried right, to argue right, right. that unsuccessfully. But I think, I think music might be in that same kind of category, right? 
Yeah. It's what you feel, whether you feel it or not. It's you know not right or wrong. Well, and I would think you as as an engineer, I would assume you are like your primary function would be logic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you should be able to, in the case of temperature, say, well, I can't be cold. <laughs> but you're also able to take into account, you know, your own data in that I feel cold. Yeah. Well, I find myself trying to figure out why I feel cold. So I go for, uh, we exercise down on the beach. We go, I do a speed walk down there and I get, I get really hot and sweaty. And within minutes, I'm really cold and, uh, I sweat when I work out. And so I think that's cool. So I spend all the time trying to figure out why I get cold. So that would be the left brain side, right? Yep. That totally makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Cause it's illogical. I was hot like 30 seconds ago. Yeah. I I I thought when I lost a bunch of weight that I would stop sweating as much when I worked out. Oh, because like I I'm seventy pounds down now over the last year. Whoa! And holy cow! It turns out I don't sweat much less. <laughs> I just sweat and like I do yoga, so you know I'm surrounded by we'll call them hippies, um, which isn't accurate, but um. But the, the, they say sweating, like you're detoxing, it's a great thing. Like a lot of people wish they could sweat more. They have to do an hour in the sauna to sweat what you do during an hour workout. <laughs> so, hey, I'm okay with it. Um, yeah, so we have uh, 15 minutes left to do the top three picks. Oh, okay. So we're going to jump to that. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break here. Let's talk about SaneBox. How many emails do you have in your inbox right now? If your email's anything like mine used to be, your answer is probably too many. I had worked out elaborate systems and Gmail filters to keep track of all the things I didn't want to lose in that pile, and still spent way too much time dealing with email I didn't need to see. A few years ago, though, I found SaneBox, and I can't recommend it enough. I know from the number of referral signups I've seen that the feeling is shared among almost everyone who tries it. SaneBox sorts through your email and automatically moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Every time you move an email manually, you train SaneBox to be even smarter. You can add extra training folders to match your workflow. Over the last couple of years, they've added awesome tools like the black hole. When you move an email into that folder, you train SaneBox to never allow that sender into your inbox again. You'll never even see the messages. It's perfect for lists you don't want to be on, and especially great for spam that you don't even want to click an unsubscribe link on for fear of validating your address. I also love the snooze folders, which I can customize to any length of time. I have one called Gimme a Sec that snoozes email for two hours, and one called After Work to snooze until evening. And I love the Sane Reminders folder that automatically reminds me when I need a follow-up email from somebody. Because we could all use more organization in our email life, SaneBox is offering a great deal for systematic listeners. If you visit SaneBox.com systematic, they'll throw in an extra $20 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Check it out today and let me know if you love reaching Inbox Zero as much as I do. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com systematic. So that brings us to the top three picks. Uh, this goes back and forth. We do one at a time, and you get to lead off. My new favorite thing is called Parallels Toolbox. 
Have you heard of that? I know Parallels. I do not know the toolbox offhand. Yeah, so it doesn't have anything to do with their virtual machine software, but it is by the same people. But it's a single menu bar app that gives you access to a whole bunch of little tiny menu, or little tiny apps. They're actually mostly standalone apps, but each one of them solves one tiny little problem. Like uh, there's, a, there's an app called Airplane Mode. You have Airplane Mode on your phone. Why don't you have it on your Mac? Boom, you've got it. Um, a lot of people don't like to memorize keystrokes. I know this is going to be anathema to you, but uh, <laughs> don't, like to, don't like to memorize keystrokes for taking screenshots. Well, this gives you a button to, to just click on, here's a screenshot. Command uh, shift same three, thing. it's not that hard. Oh, come on. I'm a command shift, uh, what am I, command <laughs> control shift four girl myself. But uh, <laughs> I like any crap on my desktop. I want it in the, in the, uh, in the clipboard. Um, it records screen. You can do short little video recordings with it. Uh, take a picture with the camera. Um, there's uh, a button for do not sleep. So like a caffeine sort of thing. There's a do not disturb button. Um, Oh, one of the greatest ones, there's one called presentation mode. It takes everything off of your desktop and, uh, and makes it disappear, turns off notifications and turns off dock animations. That's kind of, yeah, that's kind of a good one. I kind of like that one. Now I, I started looking into it as how it was hiding the desktop. Uh, let me see if I can remember the exact wording of what it, you know, you know, when you're. Well, these are all a, terminal commands. Yes, they are. Yes, they are. It, those things are, are, it's the CH flags, no hidden and CH mm-hmm. flags hidden. That's how it gets rid of the stuff on the desktop. Yeah. Well, so, did you know there's a terminal command called caffeinate? Yes, actually I did. I started looking into these to figure out how they were doing them. And I started finding uh, things like that. So if you are a terminal geek or you already have all of these applications, that would be one thing. But this is just one spot where they all are, like eject yeah. volumes. No, I, I mean, this is something that I would, I would build if it didn't exist. That's actually really <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a subscription model, but it's only $10 a year. So it's 83 cents a month. And they've added three new apps since I started, uh, started using it. Is it at all configurable? Uh, to some extent, like, um, like there's an archiver, which is really dumb because you can right click and say archive. It's the same thing, but you can add a password to it. So you don't have to go open something else to go do that. Um, there's not a ton of, of customization. Each think of them as almost like menu bar apps. They aren't, they, they are standalone apps. You can put them up in your toolbar, in your menu bar too, if you want. Yeah. But there's a free trial. I'm I'm wild about it. I love it. I use it all the time. Cool. Yeah. As a side note, have you used uh, Drop Zone? No. Is that like Yoink? Uh, it's kind of like it actually does what Yoink does. It has the uh, drop bar, but you can also add destinations, which can be your own scripts to do just about anything and. Uh, so you can drag a file up to it, and it pops open a palette, and you can drop that file or folder or multiple files onto whatever destination you want. You can have one that uploads to like an S3 drive or one that archives, one that installs a new application from a DMG, things like that. Um, I, I've had a lot of fun hacking that. but I, I tend to do that with just putting stuff in the finder window in the menu bar at the top of each finder of the finder windows. 
Yeah. It's like I have a transmit droplet there or the little, I write little tiny scripts, but my little tiny scripts are, are in the in the menu bar of every finder window so I can dra- drag things on. It sounds like that's a one-stop shopping for all of that. Yeah, uh, it, it's, it's heavily Ruby. So if you know Ruby, it's an amazing app. If you don't know Ruby or don't like Ruby, it's it's less exciting okay but yeah um all right parallels toolbox so my first pick i had these all written down hold on okay (laughs) my first pick is going to be okay so the office i'm sitting in right now had become unusable because we have a couple of cats and one of them had developed some bladder issues And there was a significant urine smell in this office that I could not get rid of. So I searched my memory banks and remembered what it was that once got rid of all this stuff. And it was Nature's Miracle. And I got the new version of Nature's Miracle 3-in-1 Odor Destroyer, which works on hard surfaces, carpet, and airborne odors. And it is amazing stuff. It's a, you know, a spray bottle, but it, it doesn't mask. Like the, the one that I got is scentless, like zero scent to it. You can spray a room. It smells like nothing. And then it eats the odor. Like it, it destroys the odor causing. I sound like a commercial, but (laughs) this stuff is truly impressive and not harmful to you or pets. I've been super impressed with it. That's pretty cool. I could have used that when I had a cat with the same problem. (laughs) I just don't have that cat anymore, I'm afraid. I'm sorry. Yeah. I I fear, like, I've had a lot of pets in my life, and I'm used to mortality. Like, my first pet died when I was maybe six years old, and, like, I know how it goes. But the pets I currently have... I think I'm more attached to than I ever have been before. Yeah. So, and they're all getting up in their years. I'm a little, mortality is of concern to me once again. Here's the uh, circling back. The vet told me that um, they believe when that happens to a cat that it's uh, a form of dementia, actually. In this case, it's stress. Oh. The, the, cat, the cat who's actually peeing is not my pet. Ah. Uh. It is a pet who is stressed out by my pet living here. Ah, okay. So, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Yeah. They asked us that when something else was wrong with the same cat. And uh, uh, when you make a list of what to have in a cat, don't pick irritable bowel syndrome. It's <laughs> just put that really low on the list. And uh, they asked us whether our cat was under a lot of stress. And it w- it just became a comical joke that never got old. We'd walk in and, you know, during the day, he would have moved from one end of the couch to the other end of the couch. It's like, oh, man, Ricky, dude, did you have a hard day? Are you okay? You look stressed. <laughs> cat had no worries in the world. That That's what it would... Uh, so I have a dog named Emma, and she... Uh, she absolutely will sleep on a couch for eight hours. I follow no Emma on Twitter. Yeah. She she has I'm her own Twitter account. Just... So sad, Emma. Um, but 
Yeah, she'll 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 happily as long as no one's home, she'll just sleep for eight hours straight during the day on a couch, and still sleep <laughs> fine at night with a little walk in between. But uh, yeah, if she moves from one end to the other, I do worry about her stress level. <laughs> How did you make that decision? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna change my second pick uh, to to go along this line. Um, I have really hard water in my neighborhood. And I mean really, really hard water. Like I have to squeegee my my shower doors every single day. Every time we take a shower, you have to squeegee. Shower doors, that's your problem. Yeah, I was thinking about that. (laughs) Shower curtain would solve the whole problem, wouldn't it? But but the dishes in our dishwasher are glassware. Within six months of buying new glassware, it looks like we have a Doberman licking it is the way we wash our glasses. They look horrible. And so I would just throw them away after, you know, six months or a year of not being able to stand it. And I found this product called Lemmy Shine, L-E-M-I. I think there's a dash in the S-H-I-N-E. Um, the best price is actually Target, believe it or not. Uh, online, it was worse, but it's a powder. It looks like a like Comet or something, that kind of a container. And you put a little bit of it in the dishwasher in the um, in the little pocket that, you know, hopefully you have the either two pockets or you use a um, the pellets is what we have to use for the for the soap. And it just instantly solves the problem. It's just gone. There's no trouble at all in our. And in fact, the inside of our dishwasher was uh, stainless steel and it was pure white. The heating element around the bottom was maybe twice as big as it was supposed to be, and it was all white. It was like you could break chunks of it off like rocks, because yeah. they are rocks, it's minerals. And running the dishwasher with this stuff in it twice, just running it without any dishes in it, completely cleaned all that off, got rid of everything, made it pure, shiny again, and it's the most amazing thing ever. That is, thank you for this pick. I am currently living in a place with well water. Just ah. outside of city limits. Like, we can't get city water. So, I have well water. And I don't have any hair. So, <laughs> like, um, the most people complain about hard water messes with your hair. I don't care. Dishes, though. Uh, glassware. That has been frustrating to watch pristine glassware turn cloudy white. Yeah. Oh, this is it. I'm telling you. I'm, yeah, I'm into so th- it. I don't. I haven't done like the the dishwasher detergent. This is just the additive. Um, yeah. Yeah. Amazon Choice three pack for fifteen bucks versus throwing your dishes away and them looking like a Doberman licked them. I show a forty five pack for thirty <laughs> bucks. Whoa! Are you, that's the booster? That's. Or is the that the dishwasher, dishwasher detergent? See, I haven't done that. That might be a way to go. I haven't tried that. I've been using just the booster. The It's got a green lid, green and yellow. Yeah, okay. Booster. I mean, yeah. you might want to give the, I mean, the dishwasher detergent, maybe the... it does both. Hey, I I use the cheapest dishwasher detergent right now. So <laughs> I would use anything. It was funny. I I did a a talk at a local Mac user group, and I had just discovered Lemmy Shine. So just as a joke, I threw it in. And at the end of my talks, I always say, you know, I brought business cards because everybody at user groups is a hundred years old and they love business cards. And so the 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 stage got rushed at the end. Not a single person was up there to get my business card. It was to find out how to spell Lemmy Shine. <laughs> well, for the record, there's no dash in it. Ah, good to know. Two good words: know. Lemmy Shine. But yes, yeah. I seriously appreciate this pick. You'll have much to let like, me know how that works out. Much like on the last episode, uh, the guest picked this product that would 
both improve the sound of and make them stay in your ear for the lightning uh, Apple earbuds. Oh. And I mine showed up today. I ordered them while we were still talking, and they are amazing. What is it? What is it called? Okay, I'm gonna have to relook that up, but um, go to orders. Your buds, Y U R B U D S. Huh. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So my second pick is going to be. I'm going to move one up here. Uh, change the order. PowerMate. The, okay, so I have a PowerMate. They're these little dials, um, and you can assign functions to turning them, pressing them, long holding them. And uh, I, I had the old USB one, and I loved it. And you can, uh, with AppleScript, you can control the light in its base. To make it flash and fade and whatnot, and then I got the new US, uh, the new Bluetooth one. Oh, this is the Griffin PowerMate, yeah, exactly control knob. Okay, and I got the new USB one like the day it came out. I'm like, oh, this will be amazing. Same thing, but wireless. It's not the same thing. It lacked functionality. So my pick is actually the old USB one, which they're now selling again in three different colors. So. Yeah, that combined with the current software does not have... Like, the old one used to be able to define uh, criteria. You could say, if it's not flashing at this rate, then do this. And you can't do that anymore, which is... With the the Bluetooth one. Right. Well, with the software in general. Uh. So I'm having to find workarounds, but you can have it run AppleScript, and the AppleScript can query state for the light. So you can still define (laughs) complex logic ladders to make it do what you want to based on other variables. I can't figure out what problem this solves. (laughs) It's a control knob for USB computers. So for me, um, I use it. Every app, it has kind of a different function. You can specify what it does when each app is focused. So in like ScreenFlow, it can Uh be an editing thing. I can turn it left. I can press once and it'll set an endpoint. I can turn it right and it'll scrub forward. And then I can press and hold to set an out point. Okay. And then I can press and turn left to ripple delete. Ripple delete? Yeah. I also, I have a, um, uh, what's the, Shuttle Express that yeah, I have I've kind of the same feature works. set up. I could never get that to work. Oh, yeah. That, that that in Logic and ScreenFlow, those are the two apps that that has proven invaluable. But, like, in, like, universally, this little knob next to my keyboard controls volume and mute, which is... Oh, that's kind of nice. It is kind of nice. Huh. So, yeah. yeah. If you need something to play with, if you have too much time on your hands. <laughs> yeah, I do like that kind of thing. I, I buy things when I can't figure out a problem itself sometimes, too. <laughs> just, I've got, I've, just out of curiosity, out of frustration. Well, I, yeah, I just bought an iDevice <laughs> Switch, and, and I was all excited, and I got it home, and I'm looking at it going, I don't think I have anything I want to turn on and off with my voice that isn't a soft switch so it doesn't work with that. 
that a soft switch so, what's a soft yeah switch? so so like uh our coffee maker for example i'd like to have it come on and make coffee except it's a it's a keurig and you have to press a button on the front right. for it to make okay. the coffee um yeah. i i had joe duganzik on my show from uh, he does smarter home life and and he said oh there's a great solution for that there's a, a mechanical button you can get <laughs> it reaches like out and presses the button <laughs> yeah it is it's got a servo it just yeah, goes dunk <laughs> yeah Oh, my house is a, an amalgamation of uh, Insteon and X10 and IR blasters and converters and power line and, and radio signal controls. But I have nice. consolidated it all to the point where I can control everything with Siri. Oh, that nice. That makes me super happy. I, the, the best one uh, I have controlling, and this is if I didn't have this switch, I would, I would use it for this, is we bought a... Um, a hot water pump. It's a $200 device that you hook up to your water heater and it turns on, uh, it, it basically pumps a column of hot water towards the farthest sink in your house. And you put a little valve at the farthest sink in your house. That's It's a passive valve that, that measures the temperature. When the temperature gets below a certain number, a certain uh, temperature you've set, it opens the valve and more of this hot water gets pumped through. And you can set times a day using a, a, a switch. So we use a Wemo switch to do that, to say, I want there to be hot water instantly available at six in the morning to eight in the morning. Then I want it again at lunchtime and once in the, when I'm making dinner and when I'm going to bed. Does Jeff Gamut know about this? No, should I tell him? Absolutely. Like his uh his Mac stock presentation was uh Wemo switches, I think it was Wemo. Yeah. Controlling yeah, 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 yeah. AC and yeah. Yeah, yeah, it it would take I I measured it. It was something like a minute and a half to get hot water to my bathroom. That's that is a, a long, long time. time. <laughs> In a state where we don't have any water, it's a really really long time, so yeah. uh yeah. But wow. that isn't my pick. Wait. Was that my, did I waste my pick? It's a good no. pick. No, do it. Um, I want to pick Affinity Designer and Affinity Photo. Oh, Are man, you familiar I heard with those? you talking about, uh, I have Affinity Photo and I am amazed with it. Affinity Designer, I did not want to buy until I heard you talking about it. So <laughs> go for it. They've kind of blended into one. So Affinity Photo is a Photoshop replacement. And I say that boldly. It's not a Photoshop Elements replacement. It's it's not a Pixelmator. It is a Photoshop replacement. Um, I am not a Photoshop expert to be able to say that, but I'm a member of a bunch of communities in uh, in Facebook that are... These people are insane. I mean, the, the artwork that these people are creating and the photography stuff they're doing is amazing with uh, with Affinity Photo. Um, the thing that's cool about these two products is they're 50 bucks a piece. There's no subscription service. There is not yet a Lightroom equivalent, but they're working on it. And that looks kind of scary for uh, for Adobe. When they get that going, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be game over. Um, and I know there's a bunch of Photoshop people are going to write hate mail, but I don't care. Yeah. Um, Affinity Designer is uh, is a vector drawing program, and I never did any vector stuff, and I'm just going crazy doing vector stuff. Well, crazy within my limited artistic talent. Again, the, th- the stuff these people are doing in designers just blow your mind. I mean, it's just crazy. And I got the Affinity Designer workbook. It's this. Uh, it used to be fifty bucks. It's down to thirty bucks right now, or it was on sale. It's a physical hardcover book. I'm going through with lessons and and stuff to to learn how to use it. 
really really fun stuff and and uh the the speed at which these people are developing it came out for the photo came out for the mac um then they came out with it for windows the same code base so that's going to be in lockstep development there they came out with it for the ipad then they came out with affinity designer for the mac actually affinity designer might have predated affinity photo they have the developers have leaked their own video demonstrating affinity designer on the ipad so think stylus i mean just crazy awesome and uh and they're saying there is a lightroom competitor coming yeah so i my degree is in interactive multimedia i went to art school i spent a decade after college heavily invested in photoshop um i would consider myself a photoshop pro i knew every single every single key combo and I could do amazing things, but then I just got tired of paying for it. And then I got tired of pirating it and I stopped and I'd been using Acorn and Pixelmator in combination. But now that I have Affinity Photo, I am amazed at... So last version of Photoshop I used was CS6. Mm-hmm. Affinity Photo is is better Wow. And everything I do than CS6 was. Um, like I said, I haven't used Designer. I currently use Sketch instead of Illustrator. It's worked well for me. But, yeah, no, the more I hear about Affinity, Affinity Designer, the more I'm tempted to put the 50 bucks into it. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool stuff. I just find it... Um for some reason, it was more intuitive to me than Affinity Photo. Affinity Photo going into it, like the first five or six times I sat down and said, okay, I'm going to teach myself this today. I'm going to learn how to use it. I was just baffled. Yeah. Um, but like I said earlier, if you have to teach it, you have to learn it. And so I told uh, Don that I would teach it for Screencast Online. And so I was forced to learn it. So I did a two or three part series, two part series on it. And then they upgraded it for free and added a ton more functionality, like uh, can do focus stacking. Um, you know, it's got panoramas. It's got, uh, um, oh, it's got this this other stacking thing that's really cool. Let's say you're taking a picture of a monument and there's people walking in front of it. You just take like 10 pictures as long as some part of the monument or every part of the monument is showing in at least one photo. You slap them together and it says, okay, all the people are gone. It, yeah. It, it's it's just unbelievable. I love this software. It's That's brilliant. And it's got plugins for uh Affinity Photo has plugins for uh for Apple Photos. So even if you just use the plugins, my I think about the whole first thing I did for Don was just the plugins alone. So it's got it's got like a thing to erase uh erase stuff out of out of your thing they call in painting. It's just amazing. It's just phenomenal. And yeah. the growth in the communities, I I'm looking at the Affinity Photo tutorials Facebook group has 3,500 people in it, and the Affinity Designer Photo group has another 5,300 people in it. I mean, it's just, it's growing like crazy. Yeah. Well, and that's, to me, that's what actually makes software. Uh, the average user might not even realize it's happening, but that kind of community, yeah, that's what both encourages development and builds like an actual user base for things. So, yeah. yeah. Do you know Elaine Giles? No, she's uh, she's a, a British uh, Photoshop instructor and she's switched to Affinity Photo and she's now she's doing instruction in it. It's, That's amazing. It's really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. 
I, again, I have no artistic talent, but I can do things now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can draw rectangles. <laughs> I imagine if you've taught a course in designer, you can probably do more than that. Well, I haven't done a, taught a course in designer yet. That's why I'm learning it. Photo, a photo I've done. To be fair, that's the first story Sal tells about learning automation on the Mac, too, is he drew a rectangle. So, <laughs> See, I'm almost there then. <laughs> All right. So my last pick is Diesel Geek. Dieselgeek.com. Um, I, I have an Audi TT convertible. It is my favorite car I've ever owned. It's starting to show its age. Um as of yesterday, actually, I have it had lost sixth gear. It had originally lost first gear, but after some linkage realignment, I had gotten it so I had I had one through five, but I couldn't get to sixth gear. So little research and, and I should preface this with I'm not a car guy. Um I know <laughs> makes and models, but I don't know how to fix them. And uh I have been learning since uh Harold Christopher Harold, um, I'm, I'm not going to try to say his last name because I've currently forgotten how to say it, but he is now known to me as Harold Chris Harold because he goes by Harold. His first name is actually Chris. So anyway, thank you, Harold. Uh, he helped me on New Year's Eve replace my clutch, like completely oh, wow. replace my clutch. We tore the car apart. And that got me into the idea of I can do this stuff. <laughs> and so I have been over time, like doing minor repairs on it. Yesterday I fixed the shifter linkage and now I have all six gears and the shifting is tighter than it's ever been. Wow. Next up is a timing belt replacement, which would at the mechanic cost me minimum thousand dollars with diesel geek parts. I can do it for about $200 wow. and, and a lot of my own time, but the, my own time that I'm putting into these things, I'm actually really enjoying. I am learning a ton about how <laughs> things actually work. I am driving my convertible. Scratch. I'm driving my convertible way more smugly <laughs> than I ever did before. Cause I fixed this thing. So yeah, That's Diesel Geek. Neat. So what Diesel Geek does though is offer slightly modified solutions. So for my the problem with my linkage linkage was actually just one bushing that to go to a mechanic would easily cost me $300 because they have to buy like the Audi specified parts and then the time to put those in. With this it was Thirty-five dollars wow. for the bushing, and then maybe an hour and a half of my time. So and you enjoyed it. I did. I loved it. I learned all about how the my shifter actually talks to my clutch. So I can't complain about that. Um, yeah, and you're not afraid of killing yourself because you don't know what you're doing. Oh, entirely a possibility. <laughs> I have accepted the the potential of death long ago. This is. This is unrelated, but also, yeah, no, I could absolutely die. I'm cool with it. <laughs> we keep getting back to mortality. <laughs> we talk about, about pet smells, it turns to mortality. We talk about learning, it talks to Alzheimer's and mortality. We talk about your car, it's mortality. 
If you knew the life I've lived, I had to accept mortality a long, long time ago. Okay. But I, I, we don't have time to go into that. We'll just say that my life choices have been extremely dangerous. Well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's three and three. Allison, why don't you tell us where you can be found on the internet? Well, the best place is podfeet.com, P-O-D-F-E-E-T.com. Uh, and I go by podfeet on Twitter. All right. That's, I like the conciseness of that. It's it's few characters because Allison Sheridan, way too many syllables and digits. Yeah. Tell me about it because I'm about to say um, you can find me at brettterfstra.com, which is not only a lot of letters, there's three T's in the middle of it. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever heard that on a podcast, gone to type it in and found me. But you can also find me as TT Scoff everywhere. And you can click my bio link in any of those places from the horrifying these days LO to Twitter to Facebook. Yeah. TT Scoff is what anyone should remember. And you can also check out uh, the Systemcast community at uh, twitter.com slash systemcast with no E, S Y S T M C A S T. And uh, you can go join the Slack room at signup.systemcast.net. And there's also a Facebook page, eventually going to be a group, hopefully with some good conversation, but come check it all out. Allison, thanks for being here. Thanks. This was really fun. Not as scary as you said it would be. Did I say it was going to be scary? You said you'd make me uncomfortable. Oh, that's just a warning. I do that to a lot of people. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I'm, glad, I'm glad it was less scary than that. And thanks to everyone for listening. We'll see you all in a week. Bye.